right, boys. Welcome to episode eight, following uh, an 11-goal week by Chelsea. It's uh, yeah, we, I mean, we were just talking off off pod here that uh, it's really been a great weekend, not only personally for all of us, but uh, great sports weekend. So I guess we'll we'll go around. How how you guys doing? Never better. Good weekend. Good uh, good to catch up with you guys. Yeah, good week all the way all the way across the board, and uh, you know, good to be back on our normal uh, normal Sunday night routine. So always looking forward to those. Yeah, you want it? will be a great Monday if Ole doesn't get fired tomorrow. Yes. Ole in <laughs> all day, every day. All right. Well, uh, yeah, it, we we usually go around. We we talk about uh, things things we're drinking. I finally tapped out my uh, my Cardinal Spirits straight bourbon, so I'm working on my final glass of that. Uh, Parker, you you mentioned you got something new. Yeah, I uh, picked up a bottle of Clyde's May Alabama style whiskey. So just uh, had my first couple sips of that. So good. To, uh, I'm up in Duluth uh, for the weekend with my wife and uh, got to adventure to a new liquor store and pick out something I've never seen before. It's always kind of fun. What's the uh, what's the analysis so far after the first couple sips? It's 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 smooth. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I haven't had bourbon in a bit, but uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm finishing off uh, the the Slipknot Iowa number nine. Um, I kind of like Parker. I, I was out of town, uh, just up in the UP, so I uh, didn't have a chance to really stop and get anything new. So it was just kind of you know what I had laying around the house when I got back home, uh, this afternoon. So finishing that up, but smooth as always, I've missed it. <laughs> it it's, it's something that, uh, that never gets old. So doing good. So Matt, sounds like we might need to take a field trip to discount liquor this week. Stock yes. Up. yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So getting to the football here, Chelsea had two matches on the week. Uh, First, we'll, we'll get into uh, Wednesday's match, Champions League Group H. Uh, Chelsea coming away 4-0 victors over uh, Swedish, I guess they were Swedish champions last year, Malmo. 2-0 uh, in the first half, 4-0 in the second half, though we did lose Timo Werner and uh, Big Rom. Yeah, we'll, we'll, let's go around the circle here. Parker, what did you think of the match? Uh it's good to get some goals finally. Uh, good to uh, get some production from our guys. I believe I called the four nothing scoreline too, so I was pretty proud of myself. Pat myself on the back for that one. Spot on. Uh, but I, but I think the, the the big takeaway is is how do we respond? And and we we obviously didn't know that we had uh, Norwich seven uh, nothing coming up, but we were all kind of looking around saying how are we going to score some goals without Ram and Timo? So I think a lot of the the discussion and the analysis from that game was all right. We did well. We responded well, but what, are, what does our team look like going forward, and how do we line up? So um, I think we all know it's pretty positive, and uh, no, it's a solid, controlling, and uh, really good win against Malmo. I, I'm I, I I mentioned this to you guys before, uh, kind of as the the roster the roster sheet came out. I thought it was a very very strong squad to throw out there against um arguably the the number four in in our pool for the champions league 
I thought it was a little bit overkill. And I don't think that Rom needed to play. I think, you know, Timo's injury, I think it might have happened regardless. Uh, you know, it was it was a non-contact injury. So I, I think even if you did sit Rom um, and yeah, Timo going up top, he might have suffered the same thing. Um, I, I just felt like the squad that he put out there was overkill. Granted, you got the win, sure, but at what cost? Like, it, realistically, in the Champions League group stage, you're looking for points. You're not really concerned about goal differential. I think you just needed you just needed the win, and you you call it good from there. So, I mean, aside from that, I think it was a, a great game. Um, you know, we did what I think a lot of us expected to do: control possession, just control everything from the forefront, and really never look back. Um, it seeing the the injuries to Ram and and Timo, it, it's. It's not going to be the worst thing in the world, but it's also not something that you wish to see your two, basically your two strikers, one playing as a left wing, but you see your two strikers go down in the same game. Now you have to figure out where the rest of the goals are going to come from, but I'll, I'll save that for the, for the Norwich game. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get back to that and the, the lineup selection here because I, I do want to, touch on that because you and I talked in midweek and we have differing opinions on it. Um, but I, I do want to real quick get, get your guys' opinions on uh, man of the match, Ballon d'Or winner, Jorginho. I said in our, in our group text, defensive masterclass. Uh, he had the most tackles out of anyone in any match on the match day in the Champions League. So out of the best teams in Europe, top matches in Europe, Jorginho had the most tackles. Matt, that's been your criticism of him since since day one, that he doesn't play defense. So not only did he do that, but he scored twice without doing his little hop, skip, and a jump on the penalty. Uh, 59% of people who voted on our poll said he was man of the match. Uh, Matt, how would you have voted? No. (laughs) (laughs) So here's... Here's one of the things that I want to call out. And I've, trust me, I've thought a lot about this after watching the second half of the, of the Malmo game. The fact that if you look at last year, Jorginho was our leading scorer for a while. And that was all based on penalties. You look at Bruno Fernandez for Man U. All of his are on penalties. I do not consider scoring a brace off of penalties as classification for man of the match. I just don't. And whatever we can argue about that for probably hours on end, I don't like it. However, the one thing that I will say, I thought that he did better in the second half than he did the first half. The first half, I think, he had a lot of kind of errant passes, errant touches, things that we're not really used to seeing out of him. Um, I think there were some, some easy turnovers. I can remember probably about three or four where he just made a pass and it, there was nobody there. Um, like the defense just picked it out and he was trying to play some sneaky ball, but the defense read it 
Um, his first touch didn't look as sharp as it normally does. I thought he played a lot better in the second half. Um, do I give him man of the match? I personally wouldn't. I would lean more towards, and this is going to be the surprising one, I would lean almost more towards Big Rom for, for a couple of reasons. A, the fact that he was able to pull so many defenders in the short amount of time that he was there, which freed up so many other options, and he didn't have great service on a lot of them. Um, the ball in from Mount, I mean, it, if that's on point, he's there. Um, you know, Timo making making his runs. Rom obviously got the penalty before he got injured. But, I mean, you're starting to see the link-up play between him and Timo, and a lot of that looked good. He had a, a deflected effort that just missed. He's doing his job. Like, that's the way I look at it. Jorginho, sure. He's going to have the most passes completed. Fine. He's the Michael Bradley of Chelsea. Let's put it that way. He's going to pass the ball side to side, back, whatever. He'll make uh, an occasional good pass going forward, which I still like Kova to do that, but more on that later. I think you could argue that Rom had a better impact for if you compare the time that he was in and what he did versus Jorginho going 90 minutes against an already, you know, kind of ass kicked team by halftime. All right. Well, interesting. <laughs> interesting to say the least. To to throw to throw Ron's name in for man of the match is a bit of a stretch in my opinion. Uh, I, I thought our I thought our midfield was where we really shined as a team. I thought we really controlled play and possession well in the mid, and then our defense continues to just step up and surprise me and play very very controlled, very uh, dominating. Uh, football. So I thought Thiago Silva played well. Uh, I thought Christensen looked good. I mean, those guys are just, and Rudiger too. Yeah. Rudy, Rudy was in that game too, I believe. And they just continued to just uh, dominate presence and, and really uh, stick it to teams. And um, what I really liked about Chelsea in the, in this game was, you know, two nothing at half. And then we came out and scored right away. I thought that was just like the really, uh, putting our foot on the throat of the team moment where uh, in other matches I've seen us kind of relax a bit and take our foot off the pedal and and then maybe concede or uh, we all saw what happened against Brentford where you have a 20 minute spell where you uh, are, are not there and you just have a relentless attack coming forward. I was afraid that Malmo was going to do something similar to us and and Chelsea kind of said nope not happening today we're taking it to you and we're going to control it. And, uh, for nothing. It's a massive win. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, Parker. I don't I don't know how big Rom could be man of the match when he played 22 minutes. I, I understand he played well. He, he he him and Timo looked really good together. Had Rom played the whole match, he would have bagged a couple easily. Um, but you, you you can't win man of the match if you play 22 minutes. Um, just for reference here. So I can throw some stats in your face, Matt. <laughs> Jorginho, eight tackles, again, to lead all of Europe on the night. Three interceptions to lead the match. Uh, that includes both teams. Uh, passing, 
past uh, 88%, 100% on crosses and long balls. And uh, again, two goals, regardless of penalties, he, he scored half the goals in, in the match. Um, but for what it's worth, Matthew, I, I do tend to agree with you that uh, looking at goals from open play versus if you have a dedicated penalty score, you have to do something to be that dedicated penalty score. So I understand that there's, it's not just up, we pull a name out of a hat and then whoever gets it, gets it right. Um, but so, so Jorginho's earned that right to, to take them. Uh, but I do look at them differently. So I, I do agree with you on that format. So, yeah. I, and, and so the, I, I, I just want to be clear when I say, if you take that away, right. So if we're talking about that, if you take that away, if Jorginho is not your penalty taker, let's say it's Mason Mount. Does Mason Mount get man of the match then? Or does Jorginho? It's, a, it's an interesting question, but let me throw it right back at you. If, yes. it, if, if those same stats that I just listed were in Golo Conte, would you give him man of the match? Um, I, I, would, I would honestly, if for something like that, which I know is passing accuracy is not going to be 88%. Like that's just not what he does. Um, I, would, I would say yes, I would. I would say yes that you know that if that wasn't Golo Conte and just if we're doing blind whatever and I don't know anything I would say yes. But the fact is, I also know Golo Conte is going to cover a lot more ground and do a lot more things on the defensive side of the ball and do a lot more of the little things that don't really show up on the stat sheet than Jorginho will. George has probably his best uh, defensive showing uh, of the season right there. I mean, the statistically, at least he did. Uh, but Matt, I, I, when I watch N'Golo play, he does those things that, that don't show up. And he makes me go, ooh, more than anyone else whenever I watch him play, man. That dude, he just impresses me. And I just like kind of like shrug my shoulders and get giddy when I see him because he just makes these, these little turns, these situations where – uh, balls coming into him and you think like there's no way he's going to be able to get away with this and he, and he does and you're just like oh my god he's good that's yeah. all I say oh my god he's good so yeah and so one other thing I want to clarify this is not my this is not my you know I don't like Jorginho or whatever the case is I, I Collins you said he had the most tackles out of anybody on the match day, you're talking one particular day, right? I don't – anybody can have a great day. Fine. If we want to give Jorginho this one, fine. I'll give it to him. Victory. Victory right there. I'll take it. But, but at the same time, it's not something we should come to expect out of him game in and game out like we would from somebody like N'Golo Conte or Kovacic. So. Fair. fair. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that to you. <laughs> the other thing that's fair about this is, is our matches this week were Malmo and Norwich. Uh, so we looked really good and we handled our business. We absolutely did. You also have to recognize that he didn't do this against City. He didn't do this against Man United, against Liverpool, against... Uh, Juventus or anyone that's really gonna like go to us, go toe to toe with us. Uh, 
Malmo didn't threaten us. Norwich didn't threaten us. So these uh, this midweek or this week in, in general was uh, a bit tough to take as a litmus test for our team. Yeah, completely agree. Um, you know, part of you called it out perfectly. You know, we, we and you kind of hit on it before you talked about our defense, how our defense is so good. They were never tested at all. <laughs> like it, it was a shock when either one of the teams got the ball in their own third or in the, in the final third, it was a miracle that they even got it that far. Like it, 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 it was a week where Chelsea needed to, as you said, handle business and they handled business. Well, and th- Matt, you're talking about uh, Ben Parker. You, you talked about it earlier in the pod, the, the defense playing, playing so well. Uh, just want to point it out that uh, once again, last week, I spoke negatively about one of our players, Andreas Christensen. I believe I said something to the effect of this is the first and only time we'll ever mention his name on this pod. Well, he goes out and scores his first goal with Chelsea against Malmo. Congratulations to him. Uh, so that's the, the, the second and last time that we will mention him on this pod. Um, it was a phenomenal goal, too. Can we just say that quick? That it, was it really was. Well it's a great goal. The, great the, pass the, from Silva and a fantastic finish. The, the body control to, to get it from behind him and drive it into the ground was, was fantastic. So props to him on that. Uh, I don't hate Andreas Christensen. He's just, um, you know, it's like an offensive lineman. The, the less you hear about him, the, probably the better he's doing. Um, but I, I do want to talk about uh, the, the lineup choices and leading into the injuries to our two strikers because that kind of segues perfectly into this week. Uh, Matt, I know you had issue with, uh, with Tuchel's choices. Care to elaborate any further? Yeah. It, I, I kind of mentioned this last week. You, you don't need to bring a gun to a knife fight. And I feel like that's what he did. Nobody expected um, Malmo to do anything. Honestly, yeah. And the fact that Tuchel even made it public that Ram has been playing a lot of matches and that he needed a break. He made it public. And he still played him. Like, that's an issue. And then you're going to play Timo on the left side, who is realistically your backup striker to Rom, you're going to play them after play both of them after they've been playing in the, the nation's league and, and consistent games. Like I, I thought that the lineup that he chose was a lineup that you throw out against a top six team in the premier league or arguably a, a quarterfinal game or, um, or, you know, round of 16, maybe round of eight in the champions league. I thought it was overkill. I think he would have been just fine playing, you know, Ross, Saul, um, you know, you could, you could have played Sar. I, I think he went too aggressive, but could it have been a statement game? Sure. Like you want to rebound after, after the Juve game? Sure. But it's not like he got your ass kicked. You lost one nothing on a kind of a, a freak play. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to to really try and assert dominance back again, at least against a team that is clearly not at your caliber. All right. Well, I, this is where I disagree with you. 
I, I think they needed a statement game. The the Premier League, as we know, 38 matches. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Premier League, you have six group six group stage uh, matches. And as we've seen in recent history, it's not a guarantee that Chelsea gets out of the group. It, four years ago now, I think, that, that we were dropped into the Europa League. Maybe more. Um, six. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but, you know, and you want to get as many goals as you can. Goal different. You never know when goal differential is going to come into play. And you don't want that magic night in Europe where all of a sudden Malmo comes away with a 1-0 win. You, you, you can recover more from that in the Premier League, dropping a point to Nor or you know, two points to Norwich or three points to Norwich. It's harder to recover in a six-match tournament. So I, I, I'm fine with the way he played it. I, I agree with you in terms of Big Rom. Uh, I, if you're going to make that public, maybe he shouldn't play. But at the same time, he was getting great service. You could see Big Rom's confidence in those 20 minutes that he did play. So it, had he not been injured, you know, maybe it would have been a, a coaching masterclass. So I, I think hindsight's twenty twenty on it, but I can definitely see why Tuchel was prioritizing this over Norwich. I kind of go back and forth on this one. Um, it's a tricky one because, because of the public comments. If Tuchel doesn't make those public comments, I think we're all thinking the same thing of Rams played in a lot of matches and he might need a rest. But his injury was not fatigue. He got a crunching ankle tackle in the box that won the penalty. So that can happen in training. That can happen anytime. Uh, the one that was weird was the Timo one. And I actually didn't mind the Timo start, but uh, hamstrings are a little bit more finicky and, and fickle to deal with. And if he had been overworked or overtrained and, and then kind of came up with something, that's where. I sort of look at that as, uh, I don't know if it's more preventable or not, but if it's due to fitness or it's due to uh, the amount of matches that you play kind of back to back. So uh, I thought our tactics were great, except for the fact that if you're going to go public and say Ram's been playing a lot and then you play them, it basically says like, this is a must win game. That's kind of how I look at it is you put your, one of your best teams. And as Matt, you said in the group text, it's a big boy lineup. This is a top six lineup. This is one of you know one of your best eleven that you can field, and uh, it's a it's a statement that we're taking this pretty seriously. Um, I also think it's really easy to make a statement when you have Norwich up next. So th th there's that as well. If we have City or Liverpool at the weekend, I don't think we play that team. I don't think we can. So it goes hand in hand. But overall, I liked the aggressive play. Uh, maybe without a Timo or maybe without a Ram, but not both of them together. That was my only kind of problem. And now we are without both of them for, uh, I haven't seen a, a di or not necessarily a diagnosis, but a, a time frame on Timo, but Ram they're saying about four weeks, uh, which brings them back just in time for the tough part of the schedule where we get, uh, well, I guess maybe not so tough anymore, where we have Leicester, Man U and Juve again. So, I mean, the good thing is that we get to experiment a little bit while we play bottom of the table teams, uh, as we did this weekend, Norwich, 7-0. Uh, let, me, let me bring back up the, the score sheet on that one because, I mean, it, it was a phenomenal match. And 
you know, I could say the same thing about the Malmo match, but it, it's great to see where we are just constantly in attack. It's wave after wave. It's relentless rather than scoring a couple and, and sitting back. So, you know, this weekend we did have three from Mason Mount. Uh, you had Cho chipping in with one, or Cho probably could have had two, but they, they gave Max Aarons an own goal on his second. Uh, and then Reese James and uh, Benny Chills scoring for his third straight Premier League match. So with, without a striker, how, how do you guys feel we did in, uh, in Saturday's match? Oh, we were creative, man. I thought there was a lot of movement. Uh, I think with our wing backs kind of playing in a little bit, uh, coming in a little bit more central, it allowed for a lot of overlapping runs. And I saw a ton of runs being made. It was one of those things where you, you, you get someone on the ball and it seemed like everybody was moving and everyone kind of expected the ball, which I hadn't seen thus far. And relentless wave. Tim Krull had to have had four or five really good saves too in, in a seven-goal game. So uh, including uh, a penalty save that, that got called back. But uh, yeah, I, Chelsea brought it to him, man. Uh, it was another one, like you said, Matt, it was a shock when Norwich even got a sniff at goal or even came halfway close because we dominated that much. Uh, you love to see it. You love to wake up early as a Chelsea fan in America at 6.30 a.m. kickoff and start the day off on a high note. So I was uh, I was buzzing after this match. It was great to see. And uh, Mace to get his hat trick. was happy for him, proud of him. But, I mean, w- without a hat trick, you could have given the man of the match to almost anyone on the pitch. It, w- it was fantastic. It, it was a fun game to watch. It, it was just fun all the way around. Um, it, we, we had, we've talked about it on the pod already today. We asked the question, what do we do without Rom and Timo? What are we going to do? Surprisingly enough, out of all the goals that we scored this year, we have 16 different goal scorers on our team. Like it, it, and majority of that, I think Rom has four, Timo has two. Okay, what about everybody else? Like, we are such a dynamic squad that it doesn't matter who we throw out there. We have attacking options all over the place, even on the defensive line. Hell, I'm expecting many to score a goal at some point this season. Like, everybody gets in on it. It's it's one of those things. Yeah, who's going to be the striker up top? Does it matter? Like, like, does it really matter? We have such an we have such a great amount of interchangeable pieces that we can maneuver wherever we need to. Um, and you know, seeing that with you know when RLC Ross Saul Ziek, even when like they all came on it changed the dynamic again and we were still attacking and prolific and we still held possession. We still dominated the ball. The fact that you can make that many changes in such crucial areas of the pitch, like it it just speaks volumes to, I think the message that Tuchel has presented to the club and the players, like, here's what we're going to do. And it doesn't matter who's going in we're going to keep doing things this way. And it shows 
it doesn't matter who starts, who comes in off the bench, whatever. The, the tactics really don't change. And so to, to go back to the, what do we do without Ramans and, um, and Timo, business as usual, right? Rama has already been on a, a bit of a, a cold streak. Timo kind of hit or miss, you know, depending on, on kind of what, what day you have them. Well, we're getting goals from other places. And I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And uh, Parker, going, going back to what you said, um, you know, I, I saw this for the first time really this season or under Tuchel in the Malmo match. It's where the wingbacks were playing more of a central role, uh, you know, kind of coming in almost a, a four person midfield. Uh, you, you could say alongside uh, Conte out. No, Conte was not out there. It was, uh, it was Kova. Um, but that, that allowed for those overlapping runs and it, it overloaded Norwich's midfield. It overloaded Malmo's midfield. You know, we, we only threw really two midfielders out there, but having just those wingbacks wave through really caused a lot of confusion and it, it opened up lanes. And I think that that really helped unlock Cho, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi allowed him to, to open up into space. He loves going at people, although he hasn't necessarily done it a whole lot this season. You can tell that you know he's got the skill for it. He he was going at uh, at defenders. Uh, Reese James was getting up into the attack, which was great to see. Um, but Matt, the the one thing I will disagree with you on there is uh, I don't know if it's business as usual because Kai Havertz looked terrible. I don't know if he's carrying an injury, but he looked slow around the pitch. And for for all the reports I've said. I've read saying that, you know, the number nine is his favorite position. The more central position is his favorite. He wasn't doing much to get onto the end of balls. I mean, that, that was kind of an empty spot in our attack. And I saw the difference um, when Ross Barkley came on and, and took over that number nine role. And I thought that was phenomenal. I saw somebody uh, actually a friend, a uh, friend of the pod here, uh, concierge of crime on Twitter had made a joke earlier in the week about Ross should be our, our striker while Rom's out. I'm okay with it. From what I saw, we were a lot more dynamic as soon as Ross came on in that number nine spot. Ross almost scored, I think 12 seconds after coming on. Like it's about as instantaneous of a, and then he had one that got fingertips saved by Gruel. So I mean, Ross almost had two goals in this game too. In a game where everyone wanted to get on the score sheet. I know Kai scored against Malmo. Uh, it was a it was a good goal. It was the one where uh, Hudson Adoy ran from midfield all the way on and then and then put Kai on. And uh, it was a great chip. And he had he still had something to do with it. You know, it was it wasn't all uh, Hudson Adoy's work. Um, but for me and my money, uh, Kai was probably the poorest on the pitch in the Norwich match. I, I thought I just thought he was disappointing. And where everyone uh, was kind of trying to get on the score sheet. You saw like Ziyech come on and, and want to get on the score sheet and put a couple of balls pretty close. At, at least I see that. I see the intent is there and I see the effort is there. And maybe that like last bit of quality to, to get a goal isn't, I just don't always see that with, with Kai. And uh, I don't know. He, he doesn't pass the eye test for me at least yet. He just, I leave, I leave the matches more disappointed in him than I am impressed by him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not fully on the, the Kai out bandwagon, 
Um, I the one thing that I have seen in the last few matches is him actually sprinting, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, I have seen him at least try and make more of a concerted effort on the press. That that is the, one of the one of the things that I will say to to his advantage. I have seen more of that effort in that regard out of him. If he's going to play that number nine role, yeah, he needs to get in the box. And the the more I thought about this, he he's kind of playing like an Olivier Giroud type role where I think he's meant to be more of a hold-up and link-up player than an actual, like, goal scorer. However, Olivier Giroud would actually get into the box and he would actually score goals. I, I understand that's the difference. But I think he's more of that, you know, Kai's not going to beat anybody on a through ball. I think we can all agree on that, just like Olivier Giroud would not beat anybody on a through ball. Like, it, it's just not there. Um, but I think the style matches very similar to what we used to do when we had Olivier. It's more that link up play, more be that big body, control the ball, um, and then that will free up the wings and even um, the the wing backs who are making those runs. I think that's where the the role of Kai being a number nine kind of kind of fits. You know, unfortunately, we uh, we we had somebody to make up for it in the attack. Uh, you know, not only Hudson Adoy, like, like you mentioned, but Mason Mount. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that he hadn't scored since the the semifinal against Real Madrid last season. Now he's got three. He's the the second leading scorer on the team, along with Chills. Is this is this Mace back for good, or are we kind of taking this match with a grain of salt? little bit with a grain of salt especially considering he got a bit lucky having the penalty retaken uh i thought uh he took that that first one a little coy and a little cheekily and, and didn't really uh treat it as if it was a the match you know depended on it because it didn't but i still i still like to see my guys take it seriously when they go out there and uh it was kind of funny because i think uh i think cross barkley was uh pressuring mace a little bit to let him take the second one on the on the retry so I wouldn't have hated seeing that. I kind of get for the for for Mason that it's important to get one and then get one in, and and he did convert the second, which is good. So a little bit with the grain of salt because it's Norwich, but uh, Mace was positive, and and I watched uh, an extended highlights just before this pod just to refresh my memory on on all the moments of the match, and uh, Mount had other shots on goal that were were close as well. So he had a very solid. Uh, very solid match all around and yeah he, he needed one and he got one right away it was a fantastic the first goal he had was a fantastic strike I mean he he kind of definitely let it roll in front of him naturally and then took it first time and it was a fantastic strike through the legs in the corner and that's all he needed to get back going so uh, happy to see Mace back in form and uh, really want to see him take that next step going forward again and showing it week to week Yeah, I think, you know, Mason had had a game that kind of made us, you know, revert back to to what we expect out of him. 
he was creative. He was attacking. Um, he was taking players on. Um, you know, he, he was doing all the things that we expected out of him. Um, again, it's Norwich. Like it, you can you can take it for for what it is. Um, until he's doing that more consistently against top caliber teams then I'll start to believe that he's back. Um, for now, I think that it's a great uh, confidence builder for somebody who's been lacking that for arguably since, you know, what, the the Euros? He's, he's kind of been lacking it. And, you know, now with that position on the right wing opened up with Pulisic out, with Ziyech not being in form, um, you know, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities for that spot to be won. And I think he made a very large step in, in terms of winning that spot. When Christian comes back, does he take that over? That I think remains to be seen because Christian has to stay healthy long enough to, to earn that spot. But I think for the time being, looking at who's first on the team sheet, I think you have to put Mason out there. I really think you do. I don't think that there's any argument against against him being out there. He's creative. He tracks back. He plays defense. He can set up other players. His link-up play is great. Like, he can score. He's in great form right now. You can't keep him on the bench. I, I think he's got to be in your starting 11 day in, day out. Yeah, and I think when, when Pulisic comes back, He's definitely not unseating Mace. Mace is too important to the team, not only statistically, creativity, creativity-wise, but also he's kind of the, the spiritual leader. He's the the son of Chelsea, son of Frank Lampard, as the the meme said last year. I it's great to see him score three, three goals and assist. It, it was just fantastic. What I really loved is his pairing with Reese James. You know, you, you see all the the Chelsea social media, all the fifth stand pictures of training during the week, and it's always him and Reese joking around. But um, it's great to see that translate onto the pitch. Uh, you know, you can just tell that those guys have obviously played together for a long time through the academy. Um, they're they're friends on the pitch, they're friends off the pitch. Mace, Mace's assist was on that great Reese goal. It, all around, just just fantastic. Good feels all around. I know last week we had we had toasted uh, to Cobham and the the academy, and this this was more than anyone could have asked. Especially on the the anniversary of Matthew Harding's de- death, uh, you know, guy who loved the club as much as he did was passionate about the club as much as he was, and a couple of days before Roman Abramovich's birthday, a guy who has put countless amount of dollars into that academy. Uh, it, it's great to finally see all of that come together and produce. Amen to that, man. I can't add much more, but uh, uh, you, you see what it means to these kids too. And I call them kids, but you see what it means to Mace and, and Reese. Uh, when Reese scored his goal, man, he just, he, he looks so happy. He looks so joyous when he, when he celebrates in front of those fans and they're academy kids who are coming through the club and uh you know we were joking uh that the the transfer ban that we we had a a few years back with frank lampard 
it, it may go down as one of the best things that could have ever happened to this club because it allowed these kids, again, I'll say it, kids get in, get first game experience. And they were a little bit rough at first, uh, a little rough around the edges, but it got Reese James first team experience. It got Mason Mount first team experience. And I think it is paying massive dividends now. And we're seeing a well-oiled machine that, uh, they're still really young and they're they're gelled and they they play well together so uh, we can toast Cobham again today man I, I love it uh, all for it the entire right side of the pitch was academy <laughs> if you go with if you go with Trevor then Reese then Mason like that's that's a lot. And when they're all playing at the level that they're playing at, granted, I'll say it again, it is Norwich. A step up from Arsenal, but it's Norwich. Um, you, you, you have to just applaud the academy. Being able to throw out three of these kids who's they're what? Who, who's the oldest out of them? Reese, and he's what, 22? 20, yeah, 23 or 24, I think. Like, and he's the oldest out of the three. If you look at, at Chalaba, Reese, and, and Mason, yeah, lock them in. Contract extensions, yes, lock them in. I think that's, that's where you have to go. Well, that, that is the rumor this week is that there's a contract extension coming for, for Mason Mount. Sounds good. Sign him up. Now just get rid of him. Give him that Tony Rudiger money that they won't, that they won't give him. You know, pay, pay them both. Just do yeah. that. Hard to not pay, pay this team right now because this team's winning and they're winning a lot. Go back and look at our results, man. They're winning a lot. It's yeah. hard to argue. And they're playing a lot of football. They're playing midweek almost every single week. And we're still able to field teams. I said it before, man, I'm saying it again. We're here to win everything. We are here to play and compete and win for everything. There is no excuses. There are no off days. We play to win everything. And we've got Carabao Cup coming up. Fuck it. We're playing for that too. We're, we're winning everything this year. Yeah, uh, I, veto, I, I, I vote that we need we our goal between the three of us. We have to get Tony Rudiger on the pod. We will spam him on Twitter, on Instagram. I got to figure out how to use Instagram, but we'll, I'll, I'll deal with that. But we will bring him on every social media platform until we get Tony on the pod and figure out what's going on with the contract negotiations. I'll tell you what, Matt. You can be the uh, the executive director of TikTok. You reach out What's to Tony TikTok? with some, some TikTok dancers. <laughs> What's TikTok? <laughs> well, we'll just we'll just dedicate dedicate every segment to uh, to Tony Rudiger, and we'll we'll cheers him, we'll we'll spam him, and we'll uh, we'll at least get him to acknowledge it. Let's let's start with a small goal. Let's get him to acknowledge us first. Yeah, and then we'll 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 get him as a guest to the pod because I think the three of us combined for. Uh, a pretty big chunk of the Tony Rudiger fan club. So, yes. Striker Rudy, I know you tried very, very hard, and I know your boys tried hard to get you a goal in that Norwich match. I saw those direct free kicks. I saw us looking for them. Man, 
he almost got on the score sheet two or three times. And uh, we're, we're searching for you, baby. We, we, we're looking for you. So. I think you should have taken the pen, to be completely honest. The man earned it. Give him the ball. Let him put a hole through the back of the net. Nobody's touching that. Well, here, here's the thing. It's either going in the back of the net or it's going literally second deck. <laughs> hey, I'll there's, take those odds. No, no middle ground there. Either he way, it's it. always rising. It's always rising, baby. Yep. Top net. <laughs> All right. So there, there is one, one other defender I wanted to talk about, and that was Tiago Silva. Once again, I, I mean, maybe we shouldn't talk about him because I feel like we say the same things about him after every match. But you know, Matt, you you called Josh Sargent was going to score in this game. He made Josh Sargent look like even more of a child than he already is. It, 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 there were just a just a couple balls that I can think of where Norwich just kind of played it into empty space, and it was Sargent's job to go chase it down. And I think against a lot of teams, maybe he at least gets a touch to the ball. Thiago Silva just reads it from the start, gets to that ball, and just swipes it. It, literally taking candy from a baby. Uh, I'm so impressed with, with Tiago Silva yet again. He's, he's becoming one of my favorite players on the team. I, I would just like to say it, it, was, it was my U.S. men's national team allegiance that was hoping for a Josh Sargent goal. Um, and if I remember correctly, I did say that it would be on some kind of like BS play that Chelsea wouldn't really have much time to defend on. I, there was no way you could have strapped a rocket to his back. You could have done anything. He wasn't getting past that defense. He wasn't getting past Thiago Silva for sure. Like the man's 37 years old. Everybody talks. The thing that I find most disrespectful about, like, obviously not us, but most like soccer people who commentate, it's always Messi and Ronaldo. Well, here you have Thiago Silva, same age, if not older, still playing his position and one of the top players in his position. Not just on his team, not just in the league, in the world. Like, I, he still, in my opinion, does not get enough credit for the work that he does, and I don't think he's gotten – enough credit throughout his career for everything that he does. And I think it's kind of shameful. Yeah. I, I think uh, Parker and I 100% agree with you there. Yeah. Don't have much to add. Uh, I was going to mention one quick thing, Collins, uh, if I could have 30 seconds, which was uh, I, I always give credit to the, to the keeper who uh, doesn't have much to do in the match and uh, Mendy uh, with a lovely slide tackle save when gets called on. Uh, I just, I just impressed that he, he stayed awake in the match because he didn't have much to do and uh, he still comes up. And then again, I, I feel like this is something that comes up a lot that we talk about, but he gets up and he just fist pumps and he lets out a, a roar because he did something, but that clean sheet means everything to that boy. And I think it means a lot to the defense in general, but when Mendy makes a big save, man, you see it on his face. You see it in his body, just what it means to him. And I love that more than anything. He takes personal pride. You are not getting in my net. This is my net. I own this space. And good luck if you come near me. And 
that's just take charge, man. I, I love that energy, love that attitude. And even if you let one in, does it really matter? Nah, but he takes that personally. It's the, the famous Michael Jordan, right? And I took that personally. I'm, I feel like I, I feel like Mendy embodies that man. I'm surprised that Chilwell went up to him after that. Because I feel like Mendy would have knocked Chilwell out. Because <laughs> he was so hyped, and Chilwell was the one that made that errant pass off the def- off of, uh, I think it was a Norwich player, and then it led into uh, into that opportunity. But I give credit for I give credit to Chilwell for even going up cl- up that close to Mendy after a save like that. He could have easily been knocked out just with the way that Mendy was celebrating. <laughs> Yeah, de- definitely good to see. And, you know, I'm not sure if we, we see Mendy midweek. This might be a Keppa match. Um, but ho- hopefully we see Mendy again against Newcastle. Uh, but let, you know, let, let's get to the previews here. Um, we do have Southampton in the Carabao Cup uh, coming up on uh, – I lost the date here. But anyways, we play in midweek. Uh, Southampton have a t- total of uh, six points out of their last six games. It then, you know, we're now a quarter away into the season and deep enough into the, into the Carabao Cup where it's it's getting to the point where some of these mid to lower table clubs are going to have to figure out whether they're prioritizing the league or the cup. Do we think Southampton's going to put up as much, much of a fight as they did in the league a couple weeks ago? I don't, I don't think they have much of a choice. It, to me, it seems like they're going to be struggling in the Premier League, and if if they want to stay relatively, you know, relevant for lack of a better word, they they need to put up something against Chelsea. Um, I think they come out with a with a pretty pretty formidable lineup, um, and I think Chelsea comes out with a with kind of a B squad. Um, uh, I don't I personally don't think in in the grand scheme of things and Parker I know this is going to go against against what you believe in when everything at all costs to me the Carabao Cup if you're looking at winning the Premier League and the Champions League you know you have to prioritize certain things I don't think Carabao Cup is going to outrank one or the other so I, I think we throw out a B lineup, but saying that our B lineup is pretty damn good. <laughs> so I'm still expecting a, a victory against Southampton. Yeah, I, I, I want to win everything, not at all costs. Um, <laughs> I, I do not, I do not look at the Carabao Cup above the Champions League. Uh, so I, Matt, I agree with you. We, I think we rotate. Uh, I think it's a rotational day for us. The thing that's uh, I mentioned earlier about Chelsea is when you're playing weekend and then midweek every single week, you need to have rotation and depth. Uh, for a Southampton, when you don't have every single midweek uh, time to play, uh, you you have the ability. I mean, these guys are in the prime of their career. They're you know from 20 to 27 years old, most of them, and they're athletic dudes who can play almost every single day so they don't have to rotate their squad if they play a couple of matches in a week they're going to be okay because then the next week they they have off and they can 
rest for six days and kind of recoup it. Chelsea, you can't do that because it's every single time, every single midweek we're, we're playing in the Champions League or an FA Cup or a Carabao Cup or something else. So uh, we don't have that luxury. That's fine. We have a phenomenal B and C tier league uh, team that we can field. So uh, I, I see Southampton putting their best foot forward. I see us putting a really good foot forward and being able to take it to them. Yeah, and the, the only two people I'm worried about with, with Southampton uh, are, are going to be Tino Livermento, the again, ex-Chelsea guy. He's, he's had a great start to the season at left back for, for Southampton. Uh, I think he, he's going to cause us some problems. I guarantee that he plays. Uh, the other one is not going to play, and that's Armando Broja, who is their leading scorer. Chelsea Loney, it'd be great if we could recall him in the winter with the injuries we have. Um, but he, he's their leading scorer at four goals. I, I don't think they have much else outside of that, so besides uh, James Ward-Prowse. So I, I think they, they'll probably put up a valiant effort through 45 minutes, and I think it'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come away with a pretty easy win after that. Um, but I, I agree. I, I think we see probably a B, B-plus lineup out there. I think we see Malang Sar. I think we see Ross Barkley. Maybe you give Saul another trot out, maybe see what he's, he's worth before terminating his loan in January. It, it should be relatively straightforward is what I'm thinking. Is Ward Prowse even available after his red card against Chelsea? Does that carry over, carry over into the Carabao Cup? I, I don't know how those carry I don't know. I thought, I thought it was different between Carabao because that's English football versus like Champions League or something like that. That would be above my pay grade, Matthew. Don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure on that. Well, comment on Twitter um, if, if, if you do know the answers to it. Otherwise, we'll look it up. Cool. We'll, we'll find out when they announce the team sheets. <laughs> yep. All right. So look, looking, looking ahead then to the weekend, got another team that's struggling, uh, three points in their la last six matches. Newcastle United, although now they have uh, the richest club in the world. It's going to be first match without Steve Bruce, though. Could, could that provide a little bit of a spoiler for, for Chelsea? New money United. Uh, uh, I think any, anytime you have sort of, I think they have like a, what, a holding manager before they appoint somebody. Is that correct, Collins? Yeah, and I'm sorry, this will actually be his second match. I remember seeing him this weekend. Anyways, go on. <laughs> Yeah, anytime you have a, a newer manager, um, especially in a, a situation where you almost have nothing to lose, uh, knowing you're not going to be the guy full time, uh, it's always a little bit worrisome, but I, it is Newcastle. Uh, it's a team we should beat. Um, I'd be shocked if we if we didn't win. Um, and then the other comment I'll make is when I'm thinking about like what are what are predictions in my head of how matches go, I'm starting to get incredibly spoiled in the fact that I don't see anybody scoring against us unless, <laughs> unless you are one of the five dominant clubs in the world that, that have formidable attack. Like I could see Paris Saint-Germain scoring against us. I could see Cristiano Ronaldo scoring against us. I don't see many teams in the world scoring against this defense, man. And, uh, and, and if they do, it's very few, right? It's, it's, a, it's one goal here and there, but uh, I feel like I'm starting to get really spoiled by this Chelsea team and it's, makes me really happy because 
I love it and I want to see my team win, but it's kind of freaky at the same time where I'm just like, God, I don't see anybody scoring against us. And I keep repeating myself, but it's uh it's a fun feeling. It's a fun place to be as as a fan. Yeah. Um Collins, you and I have kind of talked about this um as as we've played FIFA over the years, um, at least the 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 recent years. Sorry, Parks, I know you're in you're in Minnesota, so um I, I I feel like we always struggle against Newcastle. Like I feel like every single year, for whatever reason, it's always Newcastle. Even when we're playing FIFA, it's always against Newcastle that we struggle. Like there's just something, and I don't know what it is, but I'm thinking that with the team that we have, you know, we're, we're going to be able to kind of, kind of put that to rest. However, you throw in the dynamic, new interim manager, brand new money coming into the club. People at Newcastle are going to be, or at least the players, they're basically fighting for positions at this point because they know with that kind of money, they're going to bring in whoever they want. So I think there is a, a definitely an added incentive for the Newcastle players to play harder and to want a little bit more than they might have shown under Steve Bruce and under previous management. So that is the only thing that kind of worries me. But I feel like if, if they're going to do that, we have the team that is going to be able to contain them. Uh, more so than any other team in the Premier League right now. Yeah, and Matt, your your spot on Newcastle has always been uh, kind of the boogeyman for Chelsea. The the results don't necessarily show it. Uh, you know, I'm looking historically right now. Um, looks like our last loss to them was in January 2020, and prior to that, it had been May of 2018. Uh, and in that time, we picked up five wins, but we haven't scored more than two goals against them since 2017. So they're, they're a pesky team. Uh, you know, they're, they're definitely a team that that's going to be up for it. Like you said, Matt, it's going to be people fighting for fighting for positions. Uh, it's going to be, uh, an interim manager fighting to keep his job. Uh, it's going to be, you know, players looking not to be sold players looking for a big payday, especially with new rich owners. And one of those players is, uh, Alan St. Maxime. I think he's going to have a fantastic game. I think he's going to you know, if he's going up against Chills, if he's going up against Alonzo, that might be a weak spot for us. I don't foresee Newcastle, you know, winning the game because of that. I think we're we're too deep all around. But they they may get a goal in this one. And I say may. Parker, I think you're right. I think we're getting spoiled with the clean sheets. Maybe we're due. Um, but I, I think if if a goal is coming from anywhere, that's where it's going to be. But at the same time, uh, you know, Newcastle has also conceded quite a bit this year. Uh, I think they've given up 20 goals already. So maybe this is a redemption match for Kai. Maybe Cho gets back on the board again. Maybe Chills scores in his fourth uh, consecutive Premier League match. Uh, hashtag striker chills. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. It, it should be a good one, but I, I don't foresee, you know, anything less than three points. I, I, I think it's going to take one challenge from Rudy to set the tone against St. Maxime. 
he yeah. can ask Katie, he can ask KDB about that. It's going to take one challenge and he is not going to go there anymore, which it like, if you think about it, you put Rudy on that side of the ball for a reason. You have chills in Alonzo. You put Rudy there on purpose. He's the enforcer on that left side of the field. Anybody goes past chills. Anybody goes past Alonzo. Okay. Got through that part. Here's your next test. Rudy. Good luck. Because even if you do win, you actually lose because you're probably going to be put on your ass or he has no problem taking a yellow to prove a point. So best of luck. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys caught it, but at the beginning of the match uh, against Norwich, I forgot who who went up for a challenge with him. <laughs> Rudy just, not, like you said, knocked him on his ass. Rudy helps him up and kind of gives him a little smirk, like, yeah, okay, you're not trying that again the rest of the match. It's He's the master of shithousery, and I'm, I'm all for it. Pay that man. All right. Well, you know, we... Uh, Last week we we did toast to Cavum. I don't want to repeat that. So let's let's uh, let's toast to hopefully Rudy's new contract this week. Uh, let's go five hundred thousand a week. Fair. <laughs> Send it. <laughs> cheers right. to that. Cheers, cheers to Rudy's payday. All right, and on that note, uh, I think that that should just about do it for this week. Uh, as always, you can catch us on uh, really any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all, all of them at Flag Down Pod. Uh, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Google, uh, Spotify, and Apple. If you are on Apple, please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that helps us more than you know. But otherwise, as always, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys, and uh, you know, we'll We'll chat again, hopefully, after another two wins next week. Until next week, boys. Sounds good. Cheers, Cheers. brother.